Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Henderson MB Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information on our church, visit hendersonmbchurch.com. So, we are uh, in a sermon series called Acts, uh, We Are Acts 29. We're working through the book of Acts, and the book of Acts has 28 chapters, and it really kind of chronicles the, the early church, the beginnings of the church, and so we've entitled this, We Are Acts 29, because in many ways we are living out the 29th chapter. I mean, granted, it's a long chapter, but we're, we're kind of living out the, the 29th chapter. And uh, so we've been working through the, the book. And um, the kind of the next story up, or, or where we are at today, is that we would be in Acts chapter 5, and it's the story of Ananias and Sapphira, which, like, if you're worried that this is going to be like a, like we're going to do like, you know, five offerings in this one, or not, you know, we're, we're done, we had our offering, it's, it's over. He, here's what most people know of this story, right? Um, Ananias and Sapphira sold some land. They brought it to Peter. They said, here's the money. But they lied, and they only gave some of it, not all of it. And then so because of that, they died. And that's kind of awkward, and so moving on to the next chapter. Because, like, what do you do with that, right? And the reason that we kind of—here's the other reason, just to be honest, why I think we tend to gloss over this is because we all know that on Thursday or the weekend or before breakfast, um, like, we sinned. And, like, like, it was a doozy. Like, it was a really good one. Um, but I didn't die. So apparently this doesn't pertain to me, right? Or like, you know, we all have that relative or the guy down the street and, you know, like he's a bad sinner, you know, like he's just really off the charts and he doesn't die. So I guess this whole story just isn't relevant and we just kind of skip it and and move on. Um, There's actually some really great stuff in here. It is still applicable to us in in many ways. And so we are going to, Uh, cover that. But here's the first thing that that we need to know, and that is that the story actually begins earlier. And a a lot of people miss that, but it's actually connected a little bit earlier. And so let me read this first part to you. I'm actually back in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And so they're talking about the early church, very exciting times. The church is growing like crazy. All kinds of neat stuff is happening. They've got a lot of favor with with the people. Um, Verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So this is an exciting time. There's high unity, there's evangelism, there's miracles. Everyone's really kind of rallied around kind of this, this, this central idea. Very exciting times. Uh, Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, and this is an important part of it, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he was a Levite, he was a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the, the apostles' feet. So, um, 
so kind of leading into this, we read how they would sell their belongings, that they would bring them to the apostles, uh, and that they would distribute them to need. Um, so this is just a really, I mean, really an amazing time, right? An amazing generosity. I mean, this is just remarkable. And, and, but, and, and you see it in here, but it's deeper than just, I'm going to give you my stuff. It, it's actually this mentality that says, it's not my stuff. I am a steward of God's stuff, of God's money. And so I simply manage it the way that he wants it managed, right? And this is, I mean, that point alone is really profound. I, I, I don't think many Christians really kind of truly reach kind of that, that level of spiritual maturity where they can say, all the money, all the things in my house, all my toys, all my possessions, honestly, it's not mine. I simply steward it for someone else. And so every purchase, every transaction, I, I check in with the boss to say, is this how you want your, your resources, your finances managed? I mean, it's, it's a really profound way of, of thinking. Um, it's interesting, some people will use this passage and they will um, then, then try to advocate for socialism or say that Jesus was a socialist, or that kind of thing. Uh, that's actually not the case. I did not find a single commentary that argued socialism out of this. In fact, several were very clear to point out this isn't socialism at all, and that's a, kind of a complete misunderstanding or misinterpretation of, of the passage. Socialism is, is kind of a mandatory or forced redistribution of wealth by the government or, or by some authority figure. This is, this is a generosity. This is possessions freely given. When we look at the broader story, we also see that this was really only for one season of the church. We see actually that not everyone participated in it um, uh, when you kind of look at the broader story. It was completely voluntary. And also the scholars are saying that the verb tense is more of a historical reflection, not a current practice or a command. And so there's other kind of nerdy grammatical things going on here that and we won't dive into that um but the other thing too that that i find fascinating about this is that you have to remember that in just a few chapters the early church is going to come under fierce persecution and be forced to scatter to the four corners of the earth if i told you that you had six months and then in six months you would have to flee with the shirt on your back and that's it what would you do You'd liquidate everything, you'd turn it into cash, and if you were generous, you'd help out the people that needed a little bit more. And that's very much what is what is going on, on here. Um, it ends though though with this: uh, Joseph, who was also called the Apostle Barnabas, the son of encouragement, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias with his wife sold a piece of property, and then it carries on. The chapter division kind of throws us off. If you were to take out the chapters, you would actually see that it's really kind of getting set up as a contrast between two different stories. Because, they, I mean, if you take out the chapters, it actually rolls right right into the next story. Um, with, uh, with, with Ananias and, and, and Sapphira, so it's, it's yeah, it's kind of set up as this contrast, sort of a good example of generosity, and then we get this really bad example of, of generosity. The early, the, the context on this is the early church. 
Early church is flourishing. Everything's growing. Uh, it's really exciting time. Ananias and Sapphira were probably saved, spirit-filled, church-going people. Th- these were probably not people who just kind of wandered in off the street and were like, hey, this looks like fun. I'm going to sell all our stuff and maybe get in on this. These were probably regular members of the church community. As a couple, they, they got together. They were very intentional, and they decided, you know what, we're going to sell this land. We're going to give it to the, the, the church or, or the apostles, kind of metaphorically described as laying it at the apostles' feet. But, and they were in this together, they said, we're going to lie about it. We're going to keep back part of the cash for ourselves, but we're going to tell them that, that we gave all of it. Um, for whatever reason, they came in separately. Ananias comes in first. Peter calls them out on it. Uh, he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? It's almost like he's shocked. He's like, what, 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 what are you thinking? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And then he dies. The guy just falls over. Done. Um, a few things on that. Peter, Peter doesn't enact any kind of discipline. Peter calls him out, but the, dis- the discipline is of the Lord. And, and I don't even know if Peter knew how, how this was going to end. I mean, just, he just called him out on it. Uh, the actual discipline is God's doing start to finish. So, so this, is, this is not church discipline, okay? This is not a, you know, this is not how we do church discipline. Secondly, Satan is somehow involved in this. And, and it's been interesting to, to kind of reflect on that. Uh, one author used the phrase that, that Satan energized this. But we read that, that Satan had filled his heart. And that's no small deal because we actually see a similar storyline with Judas Iscariot, right? If you look at at Judas, who was with Jesus for his three years of ministry, it talks about Satan filling his heart, and then he goes and he betrays Jesus for money. And here we see that Satan had filled his heart, and then they sold a field, and then they lied about money. And so it's it's not a, a small thing. I don't know which came first, the decision to sin or this kind of this concept of Satan filling his heart. Um, I, I'm, not sh- I'm not sure which, which happened first, but somehow they're, they're interwoven. Ephesians has a strong warning to believers to say, do not give Satan a foothold. And, 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 and sometimes by our, our, our actions or our decisions or that kind of thing, we, we sometimes give Satan a, a foothold in our life. Um, and somehow that, that happened here. The other thing, too, is that the, the wording where, where Peter talks about keep back for yourself, that's basically the same word as embezzle, which is interesting to, to consider. So basically, Peter is saying that when you decided to give this money, but then decided to withhold some of it, you basically embezzled from the church. And, because I mean, you can't embezzle money from yourself. Like, that's not not how the word works like if you're embezzling it means that you're taking it from someone else so so somehow there's uh, kind of this attitude of embezzlement going on the other thing too as we talked about is that it really seems to be this comparison between barnabas 
and, and Ananias and Sapphira. And um, there was just a lot of writing that, that was thinking that Ananias and Sapphira were very possibly looking just to seek personal glory, uh, accolades for themselves in this, right? Barnabas sold his land. He gave all the money. He got lots of attention. Everyone's like, ooh, Barnabas, you're so great, right? And so they were like, well, let's do the same, but sort of, let's keep back and, and see what happens. So there's probably some element of just pride or seeking glory for themselves. A couple take-home lessons on this, because what, what do you do with this one? Um, Warren Wearsby is an author, a, a scholar that I've really come to appreciate and respect. Uh, he just passed away, I think, within this last year, and um, which is really too bad. I, he was really good. A lot of commentators were able to make connections to similar events in the Old Testament. There, there's a couple similar events. But really, it was, it was, it was only uh, Wearsby who noted the pattern that in each of them, God judges sin pretty severely at the beginning of a new period in salvation history. So let me explain that. So just after the tabernacle is built, um, there, there are these two guys, Nadab and Abihu, no one's just called Bob in Scripture. Uh, Nadab and Abihu. They tried to offer a false fire before the Lord, and they were killed for it. Okay. Um, just after Israel enters the Promised Land, uh, Achan disobeys. He steals some stuff that was supposed to be destroyed. He also embezzled, uh, and then he dies. And then here we see the church is in the early kind of beginning, uh, formidable stages, and just and God does not allow. The, the sin of, of Ananias and Sapphira really to, to kind of contaminate or, or influence the church in its early dages, stages. So it, it's, there's kind of this pattern where at the beginning of these significant phases in history, there's this very high standard pure, for purity within God's people. We're a 140-year-old church, so we're not new. Like, we passed new a long time ago, right? Like, we've got we have Sunday school classes that are older than a lot of churches. Um, so we're not, we're not in, in the new category. Uh, I would say, though, that when this church was first formed in 1878, I would be willing to bet that events and attitudes and decisions and values that happened in 1878 are still affecting us today and still influence our culture today. I think beginnings are, are just that powerful that they can carry forward 140 years. The other thing is that we do have a small new beginning of sorts just in the rebranding and the renaming process. And so, you know, do we approach this, this new beginning, this small new beginning, with kind of a lackluster attitude that was like, meh, whatever? Or do we approach it with excitement and energy and a faith that, that God has good and a wonderful future for this church and a high standard of purity and conduct within our church? Or do we just kind of let this thing pass? Or do we choose to be excited about this new beginning and, and engage with it and, and hold each other to a higher standard? And what about your personal lives? Like what, what new things are happening for you personally? Um... What, what new things are, are about to happen? What, what's on the horizon? How you begin is very important. 
It's not permanent, but I do think, though, that how you begin just has incredible, incredible influence. So that, that, that's the first take-home idea that, that I would send you with, is just that beginnings are very important, and, and to do beginnings well. We want to be, do beginnings well at the church, and for you personally to do your beginnings well. Second take-home concept is just integrity before God. I just, lying before God just boggles my mind. Like, I just, I do not get that at all. And, and it mainly stems from just my, my deep, deep belief that God knows everything anyways. So why are we lying to him about it? Like, to me, that's just beyond confusing. Um, it's interesting in the story, it says that Ananias lied to God, but then it says Sapphira tested God. Now, the testing I can actually relate with a little bit more, right? Like, because, you know, there you kind of have that attitude of, you know, like, like, I sinned, but I didn't die. And can I just, like, ask for forgiveness? Like, are we good? Or are there going to be consequences? Or can we kind of brush this one under the rug? Or, like, what's... What's going to happen? Because, you know, I goofed up or that kind of thing. Most of us grieve sin not because we sinned. We grieve because we got caught. Most of us grieve sin not because we sinned, but because we got caught. And so to truly grieve our sins before God, to be honest before God, um, we are not to test God in this way. We are to have integrity before the Lord. God knows your sin. He knows your temptation. So be honest with him. If you need to ask him for help, ask for help. That's fine. But don't hide it and be honest with God. The other thing is just to be honest within the church. Be honest to, to one another. Uh, we read that, I mean, they did lie to God, but they also lied to Peter, and they also lied to church, to the church. Part of their sin was probably trying to look really good in the church, and so there's this prideful desire for for personal glory. So be honest with one another. So first idea was just that, that new ideas are so, or, or new beginnings are so important. Secondly, to have integrity before the Lord. Third take-home um, concept uh, that I would send you with is just that it's good to have a healthy fear of the Lord. And this is kind of a pendulum that can swing both ways, kind of depending on, on where you're at. Uh, some people, the, the pendulum swings over and it's, it's all about fear and obedience and there's, there's just there's no love, and then at other times or other people, the pendulum's all the way over here, and it's just, you know, God just, he just really loves me, and we're friends, and we hang out, and he just tells me how much he loves me all the time, right? And so it's it's, it's kind of a matter of finding that, that healthy balance. In both stories, it includes the phrase, great fear came upon all those who heard. And that's an odd thing to mention twice. Really, you wouldn't need to mention it twice. You would only need to mention that once. But they, it, it gets stated both times. And it really kind of seems that, that Luke is trying to drive home that one of the key things that came out of this was that a healthy fear of the Lord came upon all who, who heard it. In today's world, I think we also do need to clarify healthy fear of the Lord. Uh, some people have known healthy fear. Some people have only known fear. The, the, there, there was no healthy aspect of it. And so they, it's a hard concept to understand. Here, here's how I have understood healthy fear. Healthy fear is the, you know, the, the dad or the coach or the mentor 
and you know they love you and you love them and it's a healthy relationship and you have respect for them, but you also know not to cross them because, like, there will be consequences appropriate to what you just did wrong. God is not reckless in his wrath. He is reckless in his love, but he is not reckless in his wrath. God's wrath or God's discipline is very calculated. It is very measured. It is very deserved. It, I mean, it is, it's, there, there's nothing um, kind of rash about it. Like, we don't have to worry about God, like, just having this surprised fit of rage that we don't understand and that was unjustified. But Hebrews 12.6 does tell us that the Lord disciplines those he loves. The story of Ananias and Sapphira is an unusual one. Uh, one that we normally just skip because it's weird and what do we do with it? And We know people who didn't die, so is it really that valuable? But lots of good lessons in there. New beginnings are important. They are important to God. They should be important to you and I. Uh, we are experiencing a new beginning at the church as we, as we go through this rebranding, renaming process. So we want to take that seriously, but also in your personal lives. What new beginning is happening, and how do we do that well? How do you do that well? Secondly, honesty with God, honesty with each other, not lying to God, not lying with, with others, with good friends or, or with people in the church. God knows everything already, so let's just be honest with him about it. There, there's no need in trying to hide that. And lastly, just it's healthy to have a good fear of the Lord. Uh, he loves us. He wants good things for us. But, uh, but at the same time, just having that, that healthy fear of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your scripture. Thank you for uh, stories like Ananias and Sapphira and even how 2,000 years later that we can learn from them. Lord, this story was included in scripture, and so we believe that you put it there for a reason. And so we believe that, that it has significance um, to us and to our lives today and that there is something in there for us to learn. And so for everyone here, Lord, I just pray a, a blessing and protection over them. Lord, that, that we would understand so deeply your love for us and yet at the same time just a healthy fear and respect for, for who you are. And Lord, wherever people may be starting new beginnings, uh, may they be healthy, good new beginnings. We thank you, Jesus. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at hendersonmbchurch.com or email me directly at luke at hendersonmbchurch.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.